All right, take your Bible and let's look in Esther. Esther chapter 6. Esther chapter 6. I'll preach to you tonight about to whom the king delighteth to honor. Esther, I've been, I looked at Esther a good bit yesterday, read through it in my daily Bible reading. Esther is a loaded book. It's got a lot of, a lot of stuff in it. It's a very peculiar book because God is not mentioned anywhere in the book. The name of the Lord is not mentioned anywhere in the book. But you can see the hand of God all through it. And then on top of that, Esther has ten chapters, which is typically a Gentile number, usually. And then Esther is also the book right before Job, which Job's a picture of the Israel. It's a picture of the nation of Israel going through the last three, last three and a half years of the tribulation. There are 42 chapters, 42 months in the last three and a half years of the book of the tribulation. So I've been looking at Esther a little bit, looked at it a little bit yesterday. Not going to preach about much of that tonight, but it's a very interesting and peculiar book. And so there's some food for thought if you're looking for something to study throughout the week since everybody's got a whole lot of time off. You know what I mean? But anyways, all right, so Esther chapter 6, and let's start in verse 1. The Bible says, On that night could not the king sleep, and he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is none, there is nothing done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman was come into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And just to pause right here, I'm sure most of you folks that are in the building tonight know the story, but just in case someone's listening who doesn't know the story, shame on you, you should. <laughs> but nonetheless, shame on you, you should know. But nonetheless, what's going on in the passage is that Mordecai is... Uh, really Haman's arch enemy, which we'll get into here in just a second, but he's Haman's arch enemy, and Haman is looking to hang. He's built a set of gallows. He's wanting to put a noose around Mordecai's neck, and he's wanting to hang him. And so he's come to talk to the king about that, and while the king is thinking about this stuff of how Mordecai saved his life earlier in the book, Haman just so happens to be approaching the king's presence to talk to him about this. And so in verse 6, he says, the Bible says, So Haman came in, and the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, let the royal apparel be brought which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crowned royal which is set upon his head, and let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of the one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor, and bring him on horseback through the street of the city, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste. And take the apparel and the horse as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate. Let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. <clears throat> That's what you call eating crow. That's called getting a dose of your own medicine. 
Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his head, to his house mourning, having his head covered. And Haman told Zeresh his wife and all his friends everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh his wife unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. And while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains and hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. Now, quite a bit of a text, but I think all of it's necessary to try and talk about what we're trying to preach about tonight. So I want, I want to try to preach to you out of verse 6 about to whom the king delighteth to honor. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us tonight, Lord. We do thank you, Lord, for loving us, God, and taking care of us, God, thus far. Lord, in the midst of all this chaos that's going on in the country, Lord, with everything that's troubling folks and God perhaps even troubling us to God some certain degree, Lord, we thank you, God, Lord, for the word of God, Lord, and the sure foundation, God, that we have in your word, God, in the Holy Spirit, God. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, God, to draw closer to you, God, than we are right now. I pray that you'd help us to draw closer day by day. God, help the folks that are at home, God, that might be listening in this evening, God, or maybe at some other time as it's posted on the Internet. God, pray that you'd speak to hearts and deal with folks. God, help us. God, Lord, help us, God, Lord, to take this thing to heart. Lord, what's going to be said tonight, Lord, to apply it to ourselves and learn from it. God, we pray, help us to learn from this man, Haman, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Haman had a fatal attitude in regards to what King Ahasuerus was talking to him about. Uh, Ahasuerus, King Ahasuerus just made the simple comment, hey, what do you think I should do about the fella that I would delight to honor? What do you think I should do? And Haman immediately thought to himself, well, man, surely, surely there's nobody that King Ahasuerus would delight in more than me. I mean, I'm the best guy that he's got. I mean, Ahasuerus has got several chamberlains. He's got several fellas that are his uh, confidants. I mean, he's got fellas in chapter 1, verse 10. He's got several fellas that he's called chamberlains. There's seven of them. Mahuman, Biztha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass. How would you like to have names like that, by the way? But nonetheless, those are fellas in whom the king, hey, he's got confidence in. But Haman approaches in this particular instance and thinks, man, there's nobody. Man, there's nobody that the king would delight in more than myself. And it sounds, the attitude sounds so conceited, it really seems ridiculous. But that attitude is so, so subtle that I think, I hope by the end of the message, what you'll find out is that uh, I hope you'll learn to recognize it in yourself. Uh, one of the mistakes I think that we as Christians make is when we look at ourselves as far as regarding the warfare that takes place between the flesh and the spirit is that we look at it in the sense of it's a switch. It's on or off. It's one or zero. It's either all or nothing. And that is not how... Uh, that is not how your warfare goes when it's you, when it's the Spirit of God in you fighting against your flesh. A lot of times that, that fight 
is progressive. And you can, you can describe that fight, you can describe that process of the flesh warring against the spirit and the spirit warring against the flesh. You can describe that with one word, growth. As, as you grow as a Christian, what should be taking place is that you should be learning to submit yourself more and more to the Holy Spirit and learning to submit yourself less and less to the desires of the flesh and the will of the flesh and how you think things should be run. You should be learning to submit yourself more and more to how the Bible says your life should be run. And so a lot of times you'll, you'll hear a statement like, what Haman's attitude is here in verse 6 of Esther chapter 6, and you look at that and say, man, that's not in my heart. But if you really think about it, which is what I'm going to try and get you to do tonight, if you think about it, boy, you find it in your heart a lot more than what you think. Man, who would, who would God delight in more than me? You'd never say that with words. You'd never say that maybe in, in that kind of... Uh, verbiage with that kind of vernacular, but your attitude says it. Your attitude towards other folks, your attitudes uh, towards the truth, your attitudes towards various things, and your attitude just, it becomes something that's, well, hey, I'm really pretty important. And so let me just point out a couple of things, just three simple things to try and get you to think about this. Let me say, first of all, that Haman already had his promotion. He already had it. In Esther chapter 2, if you'll turn back there, Esther chapter 2, verse 21, the Bible said, and the, and the saying pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Memucan, for he sent letters into all the king's provinces, into every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, to every man that should bear rule in his own house, that it should be published according to the language of every people. If you don't know the context of the story, King Ahasuerus told Queen Vashti, hey, come in here, so forth and so on. She refused, and so it made King Ahasuerus mad. He took counsel from the Chamberlains. They said, hey, kick her out, get you a new queen. Okay, fine, he did that, so forth and so on. And so he goes through and he does all of this stuff. That, I'm sorry, I was reading in, in Esther chapter 1. I was actually supposed to read in Esther chapter 2. So let me get over there right quick. Ver, chapter 2, verse 21. In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Mordecai is related to Esther. It's, I believe it's her, her cousin. It's not her uncle. I believe it's her cousin, if I have my memory serves me right. But it's her cousin, but he raised her. So that's possible in these days. Nonetheless, it was possible in those days. So, well, Mordecai is exalted to a position. He's sitting in the king's gate, finds out about these two fellows that you read about in Esther chapter 6, to where Mordecai tells the king, hey, these two guys are out to kill you. And so King Ahasuerus takes care of these fellows, and that's two of the king's chamberlains that are gone. Well, in verse 21, in those days, while Mordecai, this is chapter 2, I'm in the right chapter now, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Big Fan and Teresh, of those which kept the door were wroth, and sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. Thing was told unto Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. When inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore, they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king, which is the book of the Chronicles that... King Ahasuerus reads in Esther chapter 6. Now, back in Esther chapter 2 and verse, chapter 3 verse 1, after these things did King Ahasuerus promote Mordecai? Not hardly. He, he promoted Haman. 
which is really an interesting thing. What it looks like is that Mordecai was the fellow who did the work and got two positions, the king's chamberlains, he got two positions out of the seven. He got those two fellows killed justifiably. He got them ousted out of their position. And the guy that gets promoted to take those two positions is not Mordecai. It's Haman. (laughs) And so Haman really gets a promotion of no doing of his own. And so when you get to Esther chapter 6, Haman's standing around listening to what the king's saying. I'm just trying to set the states for you. Haman's standing around looking at what the king is saying, and he's saying, well, man, who would the king delight to honor more than myself? Well, why should he, why should he delight to honor you, Haman? You haven't really done anything for him. The guy, listen, you got promoted by some, because of something that someone else did. You got promoted as the result of something that someone else did. Well, that's a picture of a Christian. All of us sitting in here, all of you folks out there that are listening on the internet, you got promoted because of something else. Something that someone else did, no, no credit of your own. Jesus Christ went to Calvary. Wouldn't you say that you got promoted out of that? Okay, so then why should you approach into the presence of the king with this attitude of, well, man, who would the king delight to honor in more than me? You haven't done anything to deserve any promotion. Well, I've been a good guy. I I understand you may be living righteously. I, I understand. But all of that is a result of what you got from the promotion that came of no no thing that you did of your own will. It's something that Jesus Christ did at Calvary. You have the Spirit of God working inside of you. All this righteousness is a product of the Spirit of God working inside of you. And so you're standing here saying, Oh man, God really delights in me. Yeah, but the only reason He delights in you is because of His Son. You already got your promotion. Well, it's the same attitude. To whom would the king delight to do honor more than me? Well, Haman, I think you've got, I think you've got a, uh, a rough attitude. I don't see anywhere in chapter 1, if I recall correctly, before chapter 3, verse 1, I don't remember where Haman ever shows up in the picture. Haman's not anywhere in the picture. He doesn't show up until it looks like, it looks like just in Esther chapter 3, the king arbitrarily says, hey, you're promoted. From what? All I'm saying is, here you are, a sinner, saved by the grace of God. Oh, man, God really got something when he got me. Yeah, he got a, he got a bum. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God he did. Praise the Lord. But all I'm telling you is, why take the attitude that Haman took? Now, listen, I will tell you two things about this promotion. I will tell you two things. You can learn two things about this promotion. First of all, it shows that promotion comes from the Lord. Here's a guy, Haman, who didn't do anything for this promotion. Somebody else did something, and he got promoted. Promotions from the Lord. The Bible says in the book of Psalm, chapter 75, verse 6 and 7, For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is judge. He putteth down one, and setteth up another. And the second thing that you can learn from that just as well is that promotion is not necessarily a signification of God's endorsement. Just because you get promoted does not mean that God approves of you, which I believe 
And to some degree, that's what's going on with Haman. So you stand around and watch God exalt you and watch God exalt another Christian. You step back and say, well, well, man, man, God must really like them. Well, it could be that God's exalting them to their own destruction. Nebuchadnezzar, Pharaoh, a lot of fellows that God exalted, God allowed to get into some promoted position, and the only thing that it worked was their own destruction. So promotion is from the Lord, Haman, but just because you're promoted, that doesn't necessarily mean that God's putting his stamp of approval on your life. So Haman's promotion was at Mordecai's expense in that Mordecai did the work, it seems, according to what I can see in the Scripture. Mordecai did the work. He got no recognition, and yet Haman gets all of the benefit. So in Esther 6.6, in our text, what right does Haman have to expect any more promotion? He didn't do anything for the promotion that he'd already got. You know, you know who understood this in the Old Testament? You know who understood this co- concept? Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was a lame bum, really. And I don't mean a bum in the sense of his character. I mean in the sense of his physical disablement. Mordecai, or I'm sorry, Mephibosheth couldn't do anything. There's nothing that he could do for the king, but David, the king, showed him favor because of a relationship that David, not, had, not that he had with Mephibosheth, but that he had with his daddy, Jonathan. And so Mephibosheth, of no working of his own, he gets all of the benefit because of a relationship that king, the king, King David, has with Jonathan. And so... David gets into a situation where Absalom usurps the throne. David leaves Jerusalem. And on his way back in, after Absalom is killed, on his way back in, Mephibosheth meets him. And David essentially says, hey, why didn't you go with me? Mephibosheth goes through this whole deal, which I believe is genuine and sincere. And I believe Mephibosheth was being right, considering the circumstance. He says, hey, my servant Ziba, he deceived me. He told me that he was going to help me out and help me to get to you, but he didn't. He said, I've been waiting for you to come back. And so David kind of gets a little frustrated. While he was gone, Ziba came and brought him an evil report. The servant, he came and brought him an evil report about Mephibosheth. And David said, hey, everything that I gave to Mephibosheth because of Jonathan's sake, he said, it's yours now. And so Ziba said, well, thank you. I appreciate it very much. Well, when he gets back and he hears this from Mephibosheth, he gets aggravated. And he says, he says what more have I say, to say unto you? He said, I've said that you and Ziba should divide the land, which is not what he said. But he said, hey, you and Ziba divide, divide the land. You know what Mephibosheth said? He said, let Ziba have it all. He said, you're back. That's all I care about. Hey, king, you're back You're back here where you belong. You're back here in Jerusalem. Really what I'm interested in is I'm not interested in the land that belonged to my daddy. I'm not interested in all this stuff. I'm just interested in being around you. Let Ziba have the promotion. I think we'd be a lot better off if we had that attitude. What right do we have to expect any more promotion? We don't have any right, no right to expect any more promotion. You realize what we get to do in the ministry, this stuff here, 
preaching, you say, man, Brother Nathan, there's not a whole lot of people here. I'm sure there's some folks listening. You folks at home, you say, man, we're kind of on lockdown. We've self-quarantined. Man, we're in a kind of a bad situation. You realize we don't deserve anything more than this? Sit around and poor mouth and get upset with God for God, God, allow, God allowing this stuff. I believe it with all my heart. God's allowed this stuff. I believe it with all my heart. I take it as from the hand of the Lord. We get upset with God and say, God, why you let, well, why should he not? We got a, we got a wrong attitude, got a wrong attitude about things. You already got your promotion. You saved, you got your promotion. What, what more promotion do you need? You don't need any more. So anything that you get to do more than having been saved and having going on, on your way to heaven, having the Spirit, anything more than that, anything more than the Spirit of God living inside of you, anything that you have more than that, man, that's just, that's gravy on the biscuits, it's icing on the cake. Amen. Amen. Haman already had his promotion. Let me also point out, let me also point out in the form of a question, let me ask you this. If Haman knew who the king was really talking about before Haman answered, if Haman really knew who the king had in mind, how different do you think Haman's answer would have been? That's rough. You know, when the Lord often asks us heart-searching questions, we answer the questions with, within, we'll answer them. You know, God, I ask you a question. You give, it, you give God an answer. But we often answer God within the confines of our own opinions and feelings instead of answering the question truthfully. Instead of answering, and I'm not talking about in the sense of what you wish to be the truth. I'm talking about answering the question objectively. In other words, removing yourself from the situation and saying, if this didn't have anything to do with me, what would be right? That's called being objective. That's what we talked about this morning when the Bible talks about a faithful man. Every man will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. Well, that's a fellow who will tell the truth even though it looks him, makes him look bad. So here, here comes a fellow into the presence of the king. Here's a Christian, walks into the presence of God and says, God leans over, God leans over and he says, Hey, what should I do for the guy in whom I delight to honor? Well, man, who, who would the Lord rather bless? Who would the Lord want to bless more than me? Well, what if it was the guy that you didn't like? What if that was the guy that God was really wanting to honor? How much different would your attitude be? How much difference would your response be? Well, Haman followed under the misassumption that it was him that God was delighting to honor, and so he answers with verse 8 and 9. Let the royal apparel be brought which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, so forth and so on. Verse 9, let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand, so forth and so on. He gives all these answers. And so let's say that the king... Let's say Haman answered all that, and the king said, Okay, well, let me ask you a question. What if it's not you? Oh, well, in that case, just give the guy a sucker. I mean, you are what you eat, right? 
Hey, Haman, what if the king delights to honor in anybody other than you? Hey, all that stuff I said about your royal garb and your beast of burden and all that proclamation, hey, give him a cake. Make him a cake. Mm-hmm. Listen, let me ask you something. Let me, let me try to apply it to you like this. I think you get the application. I believe with all my heart, you folks that are here, and probably you folks that are listening at home, I believe you get the application. God says, hey, what should I do for a fella that I really delight to honor? And you say, God, I, I really thank God that that kind of fella, you should give him a Rolls Royce or a big diesel pickup truck and give him a mansion and give him a million dollars in the bank. And God says, well, okay, that's great. What if that's not you? What if you're not the guy I'm talking about? Now listen, if, you're, if your response to God in that circumstance would change, it's a hypothetical situation. If your response to God in that circumstance would change, doesn't that mean that you are not loving your neighbor as yourself? Lord, if you delight to honor in me, then I think you should do X, Y, Z. But if it's anybody else, you should do A, B, C. Well, what's, what's the difference? I'll tell you what the difference is. You. That's right. Now listen, there's a huge danger of oversimplifying things here in the context of which I'm talking about. I understand that there's a lot of things to be considered. Is the guy saved? Is the guy doing right? I understand all of that. But at the same time, what I'm trying to get you to consider is that if God deals with you like verse 8 and 9, and you're thrilled, but if God deals with somebody else in a different manner, and it grieves you, doesn't that mean that you've got a problem somewhere? Something's wrong in your heart. If it grieves you that God would pour out his blessings on someone else the same way that he would pour out his blessings on you, doesn't that mean that there might be something awry in your attitude towards other folks? Haman? Ahab? Hey, Ahab, hey, Naboth, give me that vineyard. I can't give you that vineyard. Well, why not? Because it's my inheritance from my father's. Go home and put his thumb in his mouth, lay down in bed, turn his face to the wall and pout. Old Jezebel, what you up so upset for? You see, well, hey, Haman, or hey, Ahab, God blessed Naboth with that vineyard. What you so upset about that for? You know what I believe Ahab was upset with Naboth for over that? Partly. The Bible says in that passage, 1 Kings chapter 21, I believe is the chapter. The Bible says that Naboth's vineyard was close to Ahab's house. It was close to the palace. Ahab wanted that thing because it was convenient for him. Hey, it's right there. But see, God took something that would have been convenient for Ahab and gave it to somebody else... Years ago, before Ahab ever showed up on the scene, God gave it to somebody else, and now it's an inconvenience to Ahab. And so Ahab's grieved 
at God's blessings on another fellow. Ahab, you got the wrong attitude, buddy, which goes beyond, that, that's beyond saying, but you got the wrong attitude, Ahab. Why are you so grieved at the blessings of another? And then let me say third and lastly of all, here you have a situation to where God in type, looking at the text in Exodus chapter 6, God is looking at a Christian saying, hey, what do you think I should do for the guy in whom I delight to honor? And here's the Christian's answer because the Christian has in his mind and in his heart, well, that's me that God's talking about. Well, in the text, not only is God, not only is King Ahasuerus not talking about Haman, it's not just that he's talking about somebody else. He's talking about the guy that Haman hates the worst. <laughs> it's not just bad. It's not just taking a razor blade and cutting a wound. It's that you're cutting and open a wound, taking a chunk of skin out, and pouring salt in it, and then stomping on it. It's not just the Lord taking a blessing that you feel like you deserve and giving it to somebody else. It's God taking a blessing and giving it to the guy that you hate the most. God didn't, the king didn't just take Haman's self-appropriated, it was a self-appropriated blessing. King Ahasuerus took that blessing and gave it to somebody else, but he gave it to the guy that Haman hated the worst. Now listen, let me make a few observations about Mordecai regarding Haman. Mordecai was not the enemy of Haman because of the king's doings. King Ahasuerus did not put animosity between Mordecai and Haman. The king didn't do that. Oftentimes, I would say most of the time, most of the time, might even be safe to say all of the time, the animosity that is between a Christian brother and another Christian brother is not because of God's doings. I don't like this brother. Why not? Well, they don't have this right and they don't have that right. Okay, what about you? That's a preacher. That's a preacher's worst dose of medicine. I talked a little bit about it this morning. Preachers, this preacher has got problems with pride. And one of the ways that pride manifests itself is by trying to find faults with other preachers. I'm not talking about looking at a guy like Joel Osteen and Benny Hinn. I'm not even so sure those guys are preachers. That, they're ministers. They're ministers of the devil. But I'm not talking about that. But a lot of the guys that you have animosity against... It's not the king's doings. A lot of folks that we disagree with, a lot of folks that I disagree with with their methodology, but I think it's safe to say that that's not the king's doings. You say, well, it's their doings. Maybe. Maybe. But it's not the king's doings. Listen, is it true that God put Mordecai in his position? Or, I'm sorry, is it true that King Ahasuerus put Mordecai in his position? Is it true that Ahasuerus put Haman in his position? Okay, so they're both there where they're supposed to be of the king's accord. But so Mordecai was the enemy of Haman because Mordecai just did right. Here's Mordecai. What the whole thing stemmed over is that the king took Mordecai, put him in a position, and then told everybody, hey, 
bow down to Haman. And Mordecai just stayed right with God in the process. And it ate Haman to shreds. That's all he did. Well, Mordecai wasn't doing anything per se to try and really get under Haman's skin. He was just trying to stay right with his God. So because he did right, it put Haman in a position to where he didn't feel like he was getting the recognition that he deserved. So it wasn't necessarily because of the king's doings. It wasn't necessarily because of God's doings that Mordecai or Haman had ought against Mordecai. And Mordecai was not the enemy of Haman because of Mordecai's doings. Mordecai had no personal vendetta against Haman. To Mordecai, the thing that he was doing that bothered Haman so bad was he was just protecting Mordecai's. He was protecting his own relationship with God. Mordecai wasn't out to offend Haman. He wasn't out to offend him or do wrong by him per se. He just did right and it devastated Haman. So where's the problem? Haman's heart. Lord, why are you blessing them? Well, why should I not bless them? Well, Lord, because I hate them. Okay. Since when did you become the standard of who I should bless and shouldn't bless? You see how subtle our hearts are? Your heart approach the Lord and say, God, I really don't understand why you're blessing them. God say, well, I don't really understand why you think you deserve any of my blessings either. I'm not talking about a compromise of your principles. I'm not talking about a compromise of righteousness. But what I am talking about is why do you think God owes you something when at the same time God doesn't owe any, anybody else anything? There's only one answer. You've, you've exalted yourself in your own heart. To whom would the king delight to honor? More than me. It's me. I'm the guy that God would want to bless the most. No. No. God wants to bless you, but it's not because of you. It's because of Jesus Christ. We better be thankful for that. Has it ever occurred to you that the ought that you have against a particular brother or sister in the Lord... Let me... I'm looking at my notes here. I kind of lost my train of thought. Has it ever occurred to you that just because you have some ought against a brother or sister in Christ, that doesn't necessarily mean that God does? I don't like them. Well, that doesn't mean that God doesn't. A lot of things you've got to take into consideration. Because a lot of Christians will take what I'm saying this evening, they'll take that as an attitude of, well, that means I'm just supposed to get along with everybody everywhere that proclaims that they're Christians. And so then what you have is you have an ecumenical church that's just religiously in bed with every person that claims that they're saved. And that's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about, man, there's a lot of blessings that you didn't deserve. Just something to consider. If you do the right thing, listen, along that same thought of what I just said, if you do the right thing, there's some folks that won't be able to get along with you regardless of whether or not you want to get along with them or not. But see, what you're, letting, what you're letting take place is you're letting the truth separate you from folks. You're not setting out to separate yourself from people because you, you despise them per se. I'm talking about Christians. That's right. That's right. So you say, what, 
What are you trying to get us to think about? What, what, what should we be, consider, be considering? Listen, are you expecting God to get on your side? Are you expecting God to get on your side? Are you expecting truth to get on your side? Or are you trying to get on God's side? Are you trying to get on truth's side? Oh, Lord, I really don't think that you should be blessing those folks. Well, I shouldn't really be blessing you neither. Well, okay, where do you go from there? Well, you have no other place to go to from that point in regards to that brother that you don't care much for. You have no other place to go to other than the fact of what does the Bible say about him? Remove my personal feelings from the matter. What does the Bible say? That's where you venture into the realm of being objective about the matter. There's folks in this church, present or not present maybe, that you folks that are present or not present may find, you may find a reason to not like or to not get along with them, but the reason that you have for not getting along with them and not liking them, the only reason that you have is just some personal feeling that you have. That's foolish. That is, that's foolish. That'll split a church. And listen, even, uh, forget about that for a second. What if it doesn't split a church? What good's going to come out of it? Well, I don't like so-and-so because they're just weird. I I mean, you fill in the blank with whatever reason you want to fill in. I I just don't like them just because I don't like them. Uh, Okay. How how about some scripture? How How about a principle... How about maybe something that's wrong with their character that really alarms you? Anything like that? Well, no. (laughs) Okay. Some days I don't like my wife. What am I going to do, pack my bags and leave? I could. You know how that would end. Okay, so what happens, it's the same thing that happens in a lot of churches. I don't like so-and-so. I don't like the way things are going this way, so I'm going to pack my bags and leave. Okay, where are you going to go? You're going to go to another church where you don't like somebody there, to where you don't like the way that they're doing things? We're people. Lord, I I really don't see why you're blessing those people that I don't like. Okay, what you've done is you've exalted yourself to being the standard of God's blessing, and that is a a puffed-up, pious attitude. There's God's standard of blessing. It's right there. Jesus Christ is God's standard of blessing. Not you. Not me. Amen. Amen. All right, Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness to us. And, God, that's a a dose, God, of medicine for myself. And, Lord, I I pray, God, I pray that you'd help us, God, Lord, to humble our hearts before you. God, Lord, I believe with all my heart that that's where the issue starts. The issue starts with just not having a humble attitude before the Lord. It starts with an attitude of not being humble before God. Lord, if we could take a glimpse at our own lives and see you or see ourselves the way that you see us, God, I think, Lord, that would invoke us to be quite a bit more patient with people that may not have been discipled as much as we have or may not have come along in their spiritual growth as much as we have. 
And Lord, I'm not talking about making an excuse for sin. I'm not talking about letting gross things or letting sinful things go and not saying anything about that. But Lord, it's just a matter of having long-suffering, of having patience, of being tempered, Lord, about things. And Lord God, I, I, I believe with all my heart, God, Lord, that that's one area, God, where all of us lack, God, all of us in the body of Christ, not just in this church, but God, Lord, in every church, Lord, we, we just we have a hard time with that because, Lord, there's no room to worship self in that area. Lord, if, if we're going to be patient, Lord, if, there, if we're going to be long-suffering, there's no benefit in that for me. And so, Lord, it's just much easier to just get aggravated and look at people and say, well, just whatever, blah, 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 blah. Uh, hike, take a hike, leave. And, God, I'm not, I'm not sure, Lord, sometimes that may be necessary. Sometimes, God, Lord, I, I know it's necessary. Sometimes you've got to look at people and say, look, you just can't be here anymore. But, God, Lord, how, Lord, the first time, Lord, it, I don't, I don't, Lord, you said, he that's an heretic after the first, and sec- first or second admonition, reject, knowing that such is subverted, Lord. We could at least go with them once. We could at least bear with them once, God. And, uh, Lord, I believe it might behoove us, God, to go with them twice, Lord. And so, God, I pray, Lord, I pray that you'd help us, God, to love one another, God, to pray for one another, God, to be concerned about each other's welfare, about each other's spiritual growth. God, if we're not concerned about one another, Lord, I doubt we're going to get it, Lord, in too many other places. So, Lord, I pray. God, take this message, Lord, I pray, and speak to hearts, Lord. We'll thank you for it, God. We love you. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you for coming and attending online. You're dismissed.